0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Cancer in the Room, the podcast. Now, the goal of our podcast is really quite simple. We try to highlight the inspiring stories of athletes, sports executives, and media personalities who have faced and beaten cancer.
1: All of us on this podcast have cancer or continue to battle it each day. Our spin is we all have to deal with cancer in the room, and yet we will all strive to push forward in a positive manner. Plus, we love talking about sports. He is Dave Jamison, I'm
0: Bryn Griffiths, let's get going. Well, our guest today is one of the most popular coaches in the national football league. Now, he attended the University of California, Berkeley. He was an All-American linebacker, played nine seasons, and was on that Super Bowl champion team with the Chicago Bears in 1985. He wasn't a fridge, but he was a very important appliance on that team. And then he busted into coaching after his playing career and after a few great years as an assistant coach took on the head coaching duties with Carolina and now the Washington Commanders and joining us is Ron Rivera. Coach, how are you today?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me.
1: Ron, we always start our conversations with our guests. When did you find out you had cancer? What was your reaction to it? And then how did your life change from that day forward?
2: You know it was um it was going into my first season here as the as the head coach it was 2020 uh the pandemic was kind of just percolating at the time and it was starting to you know catch uh catch uh, catch up to everybody and um we were just getting ready to open training camps it was uh late July uh early August is is, is when I found out and um you know from that from that point it really has changed my life it's it, it's affected me to the point where I'm trying to be very cognizant of my health, first and foremost, trying to do a little bit of work with uh, some advocacy um, for, uh, for cancer research and cancer patients. And, um, you know, it has heightened my awareness. Do you
0: remember uh, that first diagnosis? And let's tell everybody the kind of cancer it was, too, because I'm sure there will be some people out there either watching or listening who go, man, that's the same one I have, or that's the same one I'm battling. Can you bring us up to speed on that?
2: Yes, it was, it was, it was squamous carcinoma, um, and I probably said that wrong, too, <laughs> but um, what happened really more so than anything else was I felt a lump in my neck, and we were getting ready to go on vacation, and I went and saw our doctor, team doctor, and he said, you know, what do you feel? I said, well, I feel like my throat's really scratchy, like I, 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 I'm, I'm coming down with something, doc, and, you know, and I, I think one of my lymph nodes is, you know, a little filled, filled up with some fluids and stuff, so... Um, he looked at me, he, he agreed initially and said, here, take this and, you know, go from there. So I, I, I took the antibiotic, went on vacation and during, during the trip, I started to feel actually, you know, the lump felt like it was going down. My, my throat kind of cleared up. So I felt pretty good about it. But at the end of our vacation, um, when I was heading back for training camp, I noticed it started up again. And so I got back, I went and saw the team doctor and we talked and he says, you know what? Let's keep an eye, it. I want to see you next week. So we go through it. We come back. We're starting camp, um, and we're doing the physicals. He takes a look at me. He goes, "You know, let's just get an ultrasound. Let, let, let's make sure that this is, you know, let's, I just want to be sure." So we go in. Uh, he brings me in. We see the radiologist. They do the test, and he comes back and says, "You know, this part of it, I, I'm I'm really good about, but right here, I'm concerned." He said, you know, I think you need to get a biopsy. So unbeknownst to me, you know, our team doctor was, he was, he was well ahead of everything. He said, yeah. I said, well, we got we gotta an appointment. He goes, No, no, we got one. Let's go. So we went from that appointment right into the pathologist's uh, offer office. Um, and we got a, a biopsy. Um the radiologist and the on uh, the pathologist do the biopsy. The pathologist's office was literally next door. So he went in. To his office, came back out, and five minutes later, looked at me and said, "Coach, you have cancer." And um, and it was like at that point, you start hearing, you feel like Charlie Brown in the cartoons where he's he, he hears an adult talk, and all he hears is "wah wah 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 wah." wah. You have cancer. Wah wah, "Wah wah wah wah," we you know we've got to start a treatment plan coming up pretty soon. Wah, I mean, and everything happened so quick. Um, and our team doctor, uh, Tony Castellaro was on top of it. First thing he says to me is this coach. This is just about managing. Okay. This is 95% curable. The, the, and, and the truth of the matter is for the most part, most of those people that don't are, don't live in an area that has this type of medical, um, um, setup for, for, for them. You know, you, you'll have. Great medical, you have an opportunity to, to to bounce back. So that's that's kind of how it all came about, and um, and it, it all seemed to happen at the beginning of, of my tenure here as the head coach.
1: Ron, you've got your own emotions and fears to manage, and then you've also got because you're a father, you're a husband. You know, you've got the people in your life. How did you deal with that? Because. I know in my own my own situation, the calls I had to make after the diagnosis were the toughest. Some of the toughest things I've ever done. What was that like for you?
2: Well, the hard part for me was my wife was still, you know, in California. Still, you know, we have a home in California. We're from California, both of us, so she stayed back. So I didn't want to tell her over the phone. And my daughter, who works in the social media department, um, she's a content provider. She was, she was here, but I didn't want to tell her without her mother being here. So I had to hold it for 10 days and do everything I could without letting my daughter find out or anybody else know. So between myself, our doctor, uh, our head trainer, and the doctors that I was now meeting, we were the only ones who knew and and ownership. I got to, I got to say that the, the previous owner here, Daniel Snyder and his wife were tremendously supportive people. They really were, they were on my side, really helped me, helped me navigate through this Um, and get things set up and get things into action. Here's the the
0: most amazing part of this is it's not like you have a quiet job. Uh, You're out there. So how do you keep it quiet for 10 days? I don't know how you did that.
2: We were very fortunate. Not a lot of people, you know, knew. um, Everything we planned, we planned out around scheduling. So, you know, like I would disappear for two hours to go get, you know, get something checked on or, or, or go meet the ENT or something like that. And it was an amazing thing because, you know, for those 10 days having to hold it and not tell anybody was hard. Um, you know Cause I, I wanted to just yell, scream and, and, you know, hit something. And so what happened was my wife comes back. And on the day she comes back, you know, I had mapped it out with Dr. Casolero on how we would talk to my, to my, to my family. And my son actually came into town with my wife. And so, um, I was coming home from, from practice. I called my wife and said, Hey, um, I should be home in a couple minutes. You got a sec. I got, I got, I got to talk to you about something real quick. And she said, sure. So she comes out and meets me in the driveway. Just as, as I'm pulling in, Dr. Casaleros behind me a couple minutes. And I told my wife first, I said to her, I said, um, look, I I've been holding this and wanted to let you know, um, I have cancer. And her first thought and worry was, well, what kind? You know, what I'm saying because it it, it obviously matters. Uh, I had lost my brother a few years before that to pancreatic cancer, and that was her fear right off the bat. And I said, it, it's it's a it's a squamous. It's in my neck, um, and what I'm being told, Stephanie, is it's 95 percent treatable and curable. Uh, we found it early, and uh, it's something that we can we can take care of, and Dr. Casolaro pulls in, he talks to her briefly, and then we go into the house and tell the two kids, you know, and, and they're, no, they're not kids. I mean, my, my daughter at the time, I believe, was 26 and my son was um, 35. And so we were able to explain to them what was going to happen and, and, and how the most important thing was about management more so than anything else.
0: Dave's situation is very similar to yours. Mine was stomach cancer. I had my entire stomach removed and everything seems to be okay for me. But there's that, I I don't want to even call it a magical moment, but there's that moment where you get the diagnosis and then all of us who are fighters here, uh, you all of a sudden go, okay, what do I got to do? How fast was it for you? Mm -hmm. For me, it took maybe about 30 seconds after hearing the word cancer and I go, okay, what do we got to do? What about for you?
2: Yes. Well, after I was told that, uh, the, the, the the pathologists and radiologists both step out. And I look at Dr. Castellar, and I said, well, what do I need to do? And he goes, manage this. He said, I'm telling you, it's manageable. It, we found it early. It's curable. Because of that, he said, you know, you're going to go through it. You'll go through a process. It's, it'll take about two months um, for treatments. And uh, he said, but the first thing is we got to find a good ENT, uh, eye, nose, and throat specialist and surgeon, which we did. Um, And it was interesting because we asked both the pathologist and the radiologist, you know, who's the best, who should I go see? And they all said the same person, Dr. Lee, Dr. Patty Lee. And and that's who we went to. I mean, and at that point I was in a hurry. Now let's go, Hey, I want to get this set up. Let's get that set. There's a series of tests you have to take, um, you know, to confirm everything. And that's what they wanted to confirm was mine was, that whether mine was viral or mine was, um, 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 environmental, um, cause there is a difference and treatment is different and the curable rate on the viral was much higher than the, uh, well, I would say much higher, but it's, it, it, it's, it's better prognosis and it's a, a better, whole better treatment. It's, it's, it's not as, it's not as, uh, invasive. And so once we did that, um, then I had to, you know, I had to go and I had to see the dentist. You know, there's there's a special dentist you have to go see that, you know, an oncologist dentist that you've got to deal with and, you know, take tests with. And then they've got to find the point of origin. And so all these things started coming up that I had to do. Well, we got together collectively as a group, myself, the doctors, my wife, um, and our uh, our media relations, Sean De Barbieri, and we talked about how would we approach this, the best way to approach it, how do we announce this. Um, and so we, 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 figured the best thing to do would be to tell the players first, then announce it to, 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 to the media, because somebody's going to see me going in at, at six 30, seven o'clock in the morning to the hospital a couple of times and figure something yeah. out. And that was the thing that we, uh, we were concerned with that it got out like that. So we wanted to stay ahead of it, which we did. Um, and it was, um, you know, we were able to do that.
1: Ron, you're you're a head coach. You've been directing the fortunes of football teams for years. You were a player yourself. You're used to having control on many levels. Now you're in a position where you're kind of at the mercy of the experts. Was that hard yes. to make that transition? Because you're the leader now. You're being led.
2: No, not not really. Because again, I grew up in a military family, you know, and and so you you learn that you have structure. Okay. doesn't matter who sets structure. You just follow structure. And that's, that's what I learned right away. You know, to me, the hardest thing though, more than anything else was having to tell my mom, you know, because she had lost my brother earlier. Now I had to sit down and, 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 and talk to her, you know, five years later and just say, Hey, look, you know, and that was hard, you know, because she'd gone through it once and she didn't need to go through it again. What was amazing was my father was when I told them, you know, my mom, it was, uh, I had to, you know, just let her know, hey, we can manage this. This is something I can handle. But my dad, his response was amazing. He goes, oh, you're going to be fine. Just do what the doctors tell you, you know, because I basically explained everything to them. And he said, oh, yeah. I said, Dad, you're awful confident. Well, he said, well, you know, I, I had, uh, he said, I had cancer, you know, and I'm just going, well, which I never knew. He he, he he comes from that generation where you don't talk about it. You don't tell anybody. You know, he was a soul soldier. And his, con- his cancer was he had gotten it through Agent Orange um when he was in vietnam and you know it was it was treatment very similar to what i did um and it was a prostate cancer and so he did the treatments and stuff like that and he's been cancer free ever since he's still living um and it's just it was an amazing thing
0: one of the things we always talk about is you you have you surround yourself with wonderful people so you've got this team you've got this team at home Did you hear from anybody outside of your immediate teams and it kind of blew you away? Like, I can't believe I just got a text from so-and-so or I got a phone call from this person. We have both uh, are always talking about the fact that we were shocked and surprised at how far reaching the support network
2: is. Did you find the same thing? Yes, it was an amazing thing. Um, People from all stages of my life reached out to me. You know, from when I was... uh, uh, um, a young young man, a high school kid, uh, you know, grew up growing up and living in Panama when I was a pre when I was 12, 13 years old. All these kinds of people reached out. I got I got notes from all over. Um uh what was an amazing thing was the community in Carolina where I was you know the head coach previously. They reached out to me, the whole community it was it was an amazing thing. It really was. And the thing that was really amazing to me though, and and it, and, and I tell people this now. Um, that asked me about it and and tell me, oh, I have have a brother or a cousin or a friend who's going through it. And I said, well, be there for them. I said, what? I said, be there for them. I said, send them a text message. Every other day, every morning, any chance you can, it makes a difference. I said, the best thing that happened to me was, you know, we would get up here. I would wake up at 530, and I would go into the shower and just let the water run down my neck and into my mouth and just soothe everything. For about 15 minutes. I mean, it was that was one of the things that really relaxed me going into the day. But it kind of also was was kind of the start of my day. And then I would go downstairs, and I would make myself a breakfast smoothie, you know, because swallowing was very difficult. So drinking the, the smoothies was 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 a lot easier. So I, I was doing that for breakfast. And then at the same time, I would make breakfast for who was ever driving me that day. Um, because of the pandemic, our daughter moved into our basement, which is like an apartment down there. So she had her own little world, but on certain days she would drive me. And on other days, my wife would drive me. Um, my wife typically drove me on Monday, Tuesdays. My daughter would drive me Wednesday to Fridays for my uh, proton therapy. And, um, what would happen was I would make their breakfast. We'd get in the car and we start going. And then just as people were waking up, I was getting text messages. Um, what was amazing was my youngest brother uh, is a butcher in California. And so he would get up every morning at 4 a.m. to get ready for work, which would be 7 a.m. our time. And, and he'd get up and every morning I'd get a text message from him just telling me, hey, you got this, brother. Keep going. Um, and then when I finished with my treatments, it would be right around 8 o'clock. And my older brother, who's a retired police officer, he would be getting up around 5 o'clock he would shoot me a text. So I was getting text messages from those two every day, uh, Monday through Friday, because those were my treatment days. Hey, before we
0: shift gears and talk about the other stuff that is interesting to a lot of people as well, my spectrum opened up on this. I would only see the broadcasting world or the public relations or the media, the team world but all of a sudden you hear the word cancer and all of a sudden I'm noticing things I never noticed before. It's like all of a sudden my world opened up like this. Uh, What about for you? I know that you've got a very specific thing in a routine you gotta do, but all of a sudden you hear the birds chirping more. Do you see more of this? You see, people always seem to be more amazed by the fact that we view life a little differently after getting a diagnosis like this. What
2: about for you? Maybe we do. I did, um, and I still do. Um, I think I've, I've got a little bit more of a soft spot for things. You know, things catch my attention. Uh, I'm a little more sentimental about things. Um, and it, it, it really is. It, it was It was most certainly a life-changing experience to have gone through and, and, and fortunate enough to be on the other side of it, that's for sure. Um, but you're right. I, I do. I, I take very little for granted right now.
1: Ron, <clears throat> the experience of cancer has changed you as a person what of those qualities have cha- i mean what has changed you as a coach i mean if some of the things you've learned going through all of this have you carried that over to how you yes. approach the day-to-day um of of building a football team and leading it to success is it carried over or leaked into that part of your life
2: i believe it has i i believe a big big part of you know it being carried over really is about you know you can do these things. you just have to manage them. You know what I'm saying a lot of people, oh, this is too hard. And you want them to say, no, it's not. it's not as hard as you think it is, you know, And you know, I have this saying that i I, I use and I've been using it ever since I became a head coach. I, I used it before it, but it was personal, but then when I became a head coach, I started sharing it with the players to where now it's one of the mantras I have. And I always start my day by telling guys, hey, you control. It. Let's have the right attitude. Let's have the right approach for the day. You control your attitude, your preparation, your effort. Nobody dictates or tells you how to do that. But your attitude, it starts with your attitude. So I would wake up every morning, you know, and and, and be in the shower. And I would just self-talk myself. Hey, dude, you got this. Now let's go. Let's go take care of this. Let's go get this done. You know, and, and I had, I really only had two major moments that really, I think, taxed me i mean really knocked me down that was my first day of treatments um because i did everything the first day i got my uh, my chemo first chemo infusion i got my first proton treatment um and i don't know if you know the difference between proton and photon the two radiation treatments but proton is a lot less invasive it's very direct it's very forward it's like a sniper rifle it's bullet compared to a shotgun blast which is kind of like photon photon covers a mass area a lot of collateral damage Proton's very direct takes a little bit more science a little bit more exp- expensive and i had to take i got i got uh proton um because we asked my doctors both my radiologist and my oncologist if i was your brother if i was your son what would you tell me to do and they both recommended proton therapy and they both recommended the same chemotherapy that I used. I used uh, splatin was the, was the drug that I used. Um, and I, I went through the process on both those, but doing that all in one day and not knowing what to expect was overwhelming to where when I literally got done with my proton therapy treatment that day after having gotten my chemo, I mean, I was at the hospital for eight hours uh, all day um, it was one of the few days I was able to sneak out and, not, and the players not know where I was. And um, it whacked me at the end where I, I physically broke down. Um, they had to come get me, you know, give me a wheelchair, move me into a room and and kind of uh, get, me, get me going, give me some IV fluids, uh, a little bit more compared to what I had already gotten. So, you know, and then I got through it. And then the other time I, uh, I got whacked pretty good was it was the, uh, it was the Tuesday after – it was the second Tuesday after my second treatment of chemo. So I get the chemo week before that. I come in. I see the doctors. And as I go through my radiation treatment and then I go to see my oncologist, it's like I just started getting worse and worse. And by the time I was done with the oncologist, I couldn't walk. They had to wheelchair me out. It's the only time that we, they wheelchaired me out. I came back to our practice facility, and, and our trainers, they're going to give me the IV fluids. And usually it perks me up, and I can make it through the day. Well, this particular day, I just couldn't go. I just couldn't go. Those were, that was the lowest point uh, of my treatments at that point.
0: One of the things about this podcast is we hear two stories. We hear about the, the hope. Not every cancer story is a bad one, but there's also some that are great ones. And, uh, you know, we're all here to basically, this is the cancer in the room thing we often talk about. But also one of the fun parts about this podcast is that we get to find out a little bit more about you and how you got to this point. And, you know, one of the things, so looking at your history in uh, in football, and I'm thinking, Who would be his mentors? Because I I, I see Mike Ditka's name is on there, a coach that you dealt with. Andy Reid is on there. Uh, Tom Flores is another guy. Buddy Ryan, do you have a coaching mentor? Is there anybody that really kind of led the way for you to to get you to where you are now?
2: You know, I had a lot of guys that that, that I had before me. You mentioned them. But the guy that helped me the most uh, didn't come into my life as, as a mentor. I'd met him previously when I was a kid. And then he covered me when I was a player. And then, you know, I, I, I knew him, but I didn't get to know him until I reached out to him to be a mentor. Uh, John Madden, when I was just won the Super Bowl, I was 16 years old and he and his family were down in Monterey, California, which is my hometown area um, for a little family break. And I went up and introduced myself to him and I said, someday, coach, you'll be talking about me. And uh, so he wrote me a real nice note, and i you know, and and so then he starts covering me, and I remind him of that, and he's and he kind of looks at me and he goes, I said we were at Edgewater Packing Company. It was a um, was a place in in on on a Cannery Row and Fisherman's Wharf in in Monterey, and, and I, you know, and it brought back a lot of memories. So we kind of, you know, he was he was always good to me on the on, on television. So fast forward, I become the head coach of the Panthers, the Carolina Panthers. And as I'm finishing my second year as the head coach, we were trending up. Um, my previous owner came to me and, and and he says to me, he says, Ron, you've done a great job, but I think you need a little more help. I think you need a mentor. He said, I know somebody that would help you out an awful lot, and I think you should reach out to him. And his name is John Madden. I said, I know Coach Madden. I've met him a long time ago. He's covering. He said, well, Ron, he and I talked and he's, he'd be more than happy to help out. He gives me his phone number. Go back to my office. I call him. We have this great conversation. I said, look, coach, I'm just looking for somebody to help me, point me in the right direction. See, one of the mistakes I made, and I tell this to a lot of the young coaches now that come to me for advice, and I tell them, I said, look, you need to find a mentor. You need to find somebody that can help direct you and guide you. Somebody that's been there before. I said, you know, I tell people all the time, "Don't, don't send me a map unless you've been there. Well, that was the thing for Coach Batten. He had been there. So he was there to help me. And the, the insight he gave me, I I I must have visited him in person, I think it was five times. And I've got these impeccable notes that I kept. And then I transcribed them. And I have, you know, about 30 some odd pages of notes from him that I, I every now and then will just reread. And it was an amazing thing. And then I would pick the phone, the phone up and call him and he'd start talking right away or he would call me and he would say, you know, hey, I watched the game last night. Love the way your guys are playing. Loved how you guys did this. Or, hey, you know what you think about this, coach? Think about doing this with your guys. And so I had that and, and it was something I needed. And you never realize it. sometimes you think you can handle it all yourself. But it, it, it came at a very good time for me and it was tremendous.
1: Ron, you played in a different era. Obviously, football has evolved; it's changed. Um, what's the biggest challenge that is presented to you as a coach as this game is is morphed into what we see now, very offensive, and it certainly decided it looks decidedly different than when you were playing.
2: Very much so. You know, it's funny. the The, the game is what the game is. As coaches, you'll always adapt and change to it, or you'll become extinct. That—that's the first thing you've got to understand. You've got to be able to keep up with—with—with with, with what the uh, strategy is, and that's one thing that you know we're working on here. Um, it's one of the reasons why I did some of the things I did this offseason and changing some of my coaches um, was because of that. Was just being able to, to match what's going on. Uh, secondly, the, the other big thing is changes the player themselves. You know, it's it's a whole different breed of different player. Um, they're bigger, faster, stronger, uh, quicker. Um, there's, uh, th- their skill sets are all over the place, and their diversity as players is, is tremendous. Um, and then the, 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 the whole economics of the game has changed, uh, right. you know, with, especially with television, social media, um, podcasts, everything like that, because there's so much attention and focus now on sports. Um, you know, so there's a lot of reasons why it's changed. Uh, another thing that's really been kind of an interesting change, too, is when I played, um, Charles Barkley came out and and, and basically said, you know, I'm not here to raise your kid. You know, we had a platform, but we didn't use it socially. Right. We did. And now you have players most notably, guys like LeBron James, who have learned to use that platform properly, and so now the realization that because we have this platform, we can make the right kind of impact on people. So we're expected now to be even more so in front of the cameras, um, you know, standing on the soapboxes, talking about some of the social issues and 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 economic and political issues for that matter as well. For 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 whatever reason people now expect us to be involved with that even more so. So you take all those together and now it's, okay, manage, you know, manage 53 guys and they come from all over, all different backgrounds. And we've got to be able to manage that as well.
0: Coaching, playing, Uh, totally different. Do you have a favorite or are they both the same? You've got great memories because I I know that, when you take a look at your career highlights, it's got to be all over the place. Do you have some of those highlights yeah. as well?
2: Oh, they're everywhere. I mean, um, if I could, I would choose playing over coaching, okay. simply, simply because you're playing. I love the game. I really do. And 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 if I could, if I could played longer, I would have played longer. If I could play again, I'd play again. But there's been a tremendous amount of 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 Uh, sense of accomplishment. I've gotten a lot of gratification out of it. Um, Just with a lot of the players I've coached, you know, several of them, few of them now uh, are in the Hall of Fame. Um, Some of them have had some tremendous stories. Uh, One of my favorite all-time players and and stories is Thomas Davis, my linebacker in Carolina. When I got there, Thomas was coming off his second ACL um, surgery to the same leg. And he's a tremendous player. And in our in our second game of the year, he has his third ACL injury to the same leg. And pretty much it was as if his career was over at that point. And a lot of people were ready to write himself off, including me and including him. And he goes, he has the, the, the surgery with Dr. Uh, Andrews, James Andrews in, in, in Florida, the, the noted uh, surgeon. And he has it in... Early October, I believe it was. And when Thomas went back for his two month checkup, uh, I'll never forget it. Because when I had talked to him earlier, he was pretty resigned and his career was over. So he goes in for his two month checkup. He sees Dr. Andrews. And Thomas says, says to Doc, Hey, let's just go ahead and get this over with so I can get on with the rest of my life. And Doc looked at him. He said, You know, Thomas, I got to be honest with you, it's going to be up to you. He said, Everything looks great. He said, surgery went well. You've taken to the graft very well. He said, if you want to try and play again, I, I won't hold you back. I think I think you're in a good spot, but you've got to do everything you need to. And all of a sudden, Thomas was re-energized. So he comes back from the appointment. I get called to the owner's office, to Mr. Richardson's office. I walk in. There's Thomas sitting there. Mr. Richardson looks at me and says, Thomas wants to talk to you about something, coach. I said, sure. And Thomas looks at me and says, coach. I won't play again. And Mr. Richardson looks at me and goes, what do you think, coach? I said, well, I'll tell you this, Mr. Richardson. If Thomas does come back and can do what he used to do, I can't coach that. That's natural ability. There are just some things he does that are special. He said, well, then we'll give him a chance. And we did. We gave him a chance, and he goes on for eight more years after that. It was – it was. It was a, excuse me, uh, nine, 10 more years after that. It, it was a phenomenal recovery. Um, he he wins the Walter Payton's Man of the Year Award for his community service. Yep. Um, I mean, just that was one of those stories that as as a coach, I will take that. I will I would probably take that story over having won the Super Bowl as a player. I really would. It, it's an unbelievable story and the impact the young man made has made on lives today is just amazing.
0: Well, that's the goal of this podcast is to tell everybody you just gotta keep pushing forward. Uh Listen, we know you got to get back out to the field, and we thank you for your time. I know we're way up here in the great white north in Canada, but uh, thanks for joining us today. This has been fantastic, and we're very uh, proud of you, the way you've yeah. handled uh, not only things on the field and at home, but how you've handled this cancer thing. Uh, we're all dealing with it, and this is uh, the goal of this is to basically tell everybody you can do it, and I think you've, uh, you've, you've said that in more ways than one. Thank you.
2: No, you're welcome. You know, and just one one real quick thing, too. One thing that has happened that I'm really proud of is, is I've become an advocate for this, um, I, uh, for cancer research, uh, cancer treatments, and for patient advocacy. And I was recently put in touch with Dr. Danielle Carnival. She is the uh, the cancer czar for President Biden. And I was able to talk with her about some of the stuff that uh, the treatments that I've gotten and, and and the advantages to it and the importance of it and continuing to make it available. And she agreed. And so that's one of the things I've become very proud about. Well,
1: congratulations. Thanks, Lana. Coach. This has been great. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.
1: Okay, that's it for today. And thanks for being with us as we talk sports and cancer on our podcast. We really hope the stories shared today help to make your day better and to inspire you to recognize so many have gone through so much. And there's positive stuff happening all the time on the beat cancer front.
0: Now, if you have a comment on today's podcast with the coach or a suggestion of somebody, maybe you'd like us to track down to talk to, then please send us a, how about you send us an email? You can send it to Bryn, B-R-Y-N, at road55.ca. You can also check out our Twitter feed too. The handle's really simple. It's at cancer in the room. And yes... Yes, we do have a website. It's www.cancerintheroom.com.
1: And don't forget, you can also catch us on any of your favorite ear candy sites, Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. Just subscribe, and every time we drop a new episode, it goes automatically to your mobile device. Tell your friends as well. And that's it for today. Big
0: thank you to Coach Ron Rivera for joining us on this edition, and thanks, and we're out of here. This series is proudly produced by the team at Road 55. Road 55 creates content that connects. For more information, check our website, www.road55.ca.